Greetings, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 56 of Real Blend, a podcast that plans to reveal our Rodriguez Blend picks during a commercial break. My name is Sean O'Connell, <laughs> the managing director of Cinema Blend, the managing director, director of Cinema Blend, and the proud co-host of the weekly Real Blend podcast. Hello, boys. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm going to get to my introductions now because I'm joined each and every week by my illustrious co-hosts. As always, we will start with the man who adores Hot Tub Time Machine, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hot Tub Time Machine 1's great. And right. I have no problem admitting that. Two was, was, a, was, was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But yes. And like the, a there's lot. a reason and, and, we made that joke, by and the way. And they're, remake, they're remaking one, and we'll get to that Oh, later my on the God! Show. And in the other <laughs> chair. I'm 30 seconds into this podcast, I'm already annoyed. The man who... Uh, is not ashamed to use photos of his dog to get valuable celebrity interviews. Jake Hamilton. Dude, if it works, it works, brother. I'm not ashamed to admit it. (laughs) Hey, people have done far worse. I'll have you know. Name names. Who? What are are we talking about? That's a separate podcast I do in my own private time. (laughs) Uh, We we have so much to get to this week, including a really big deal that we mentioned at the end of last week's episode, an interview that we conducted uh, at an earlier point with... Alita Battle Angel director Robert Rodriguez. That's part of why we're doing hashtag Robert Rodriguez blend. You guys played along on social media. And so we will have that coming up in the show. We also have some uh, news to get to trailers. We have a big topic to get to with regards to the Academy Awards telecast, and we will dive into all of that. This is the point of the show where we normally do reviews, but we have no new ones this week, unfortunately. Um, Someone did reach out to us and asked if they have to be on iTunes. And, um, you know, I don't think they have, they don't necessarily have to be. And I think it's like, I think it helps us with Apple if we get reviews on there. But we always say, if you want to send us something that we could read at the top of the show, we have an email address, uh, realblend at cinemablend.com. You can send us some stuff there. Uh, you can always hit us Smoke up signals, on social media. carrier pigeons. Any way that you want to get the message out to us. We're more than happy to to listen to you guys. So most importantly, if you like the show, you want to help us grow, send us a review. We'll read it at the top of the show because, as you guys know, we love this awesome community and we absolutely cannot do it uh, week after week without your guys' support. So let's start right uh, off the bat with news and dive into <laughs> our first look at the Blue Genie from Aladdin and... Uh, I so here's this is what fascinated me the most about this was I saw it and I was like (laughs) that's not and then but then the reaction seemed to be like the opposite it was almost like oh that's not that bad it looks okay like did did you guys have the reaction that it was acceptable at all I haven't seen a single positive reaction yeah I haven't I mean that it ranges from horrifying to like clawing my eyes out (laughs) yeah I've seen people tried like what i've seen are people trying to make sense of the of what they just saw okay um like trying to be oh like kind of what you're saying not not i don't know i i i don't think i've seen anybody accept it <laughs> maybe accept it's too strong of a word maybe that maybe i saw yes i saw of course the snarky tweets that went across about how terrible one of them was yours one of them was mine mine yeah. did pretty well about the yeah. bluest rest bluest in peace my squad. notifications <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, well, tell tell the audience what the tweet was if they, if they don't follow it was a Twitter. great it was a great joke by the way which can i say before you say what the joke is sure scared the hell out of me because you tagged me in it while i was mid-flight right and when you're a reporter 
and you land, you're you're off the grid for four hours, the, the the time it takes to fly from LA to Chicago, and you land and you turn on your phone and your phone starts blowing up. <laughs> your first thought is, oh my god, what happened or what did I say that ticked someone off? Right. On social media. It was because I was tagged in Sean's joke that blew up while I was midair. And then right. uh, I realized that it was, wasn't that I said something wrong. It was something far more horrifying. It was the first look at Will Smith as the genie. Well, and the joke's not going to translate on, on the podcast. Not with it's that not, attitude. It's, it's, not not. As, it's not as funny. Um, but I, I made a so with some kind of blue aside squad, you know, line, Will Smith's line. It's funny. It's and funny. Somewhere, somewhere far, <laughs> far away in D.C., Kevin looked up into the sky and like there's a twinkle <laughs> in the stars and a single tear rolled down his cheek yeah. because he was just so damn it proud. Was. It was I, like I, Master I, Yoda passing yeah. it off to, to yeah. Luke Skywalker. You, you finally got the black belt. Like, 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 like you become yes. the, the, ma- the was, master of the it puns. It was that, that shot from The Last Jedi of like you and Kevin on the hill looking at burning and it was just all the, the puns from the the past that are just burning that you've got to let go because you've got, you've got to move on to the next generation. All right, well, so let's, good. let's talk about this though, because we do know for the, the majority of Guy Ritchie's live action adaptation, um, the genie is going to be human form. It's going to just look like Will Smith and he's going to be bald or have that sort of ponytail esque thing. But apparently for some of it, he's going to be blue and, and CGI esque. And I mean, a lot of people made arrested development jokes and a lot of people, it, it just, it, it goes to show that, sometimes animation can't be translated, right? Like, The Lion King so far looks like it's going to be a pretty accurate representation. Because but it's if- still animation. Right. It's yeah. not live action. Yeah. You know, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. the yeah. thing, I was trying to figure out what was it about Will Smith as the genie that bothered me so much. Because I do actually really like Will Smith. And I think it's because, to your point, it's his human face mm-hmm. on the genie. Mm-hmm. Which say, I mean, like, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about the, you know, the animated genie is that he was able to stretch and turn his face into whatever. Yes, it was Robin Williams' voice and it was an amazing performance. And I'm with Kevin and that he deserved an Oscar nomination for that performance. But he, it, it, there, there, he wasn't really human. He had sort of human characteristics, but at the drop of a hat was not, at no point was that Robin Williams' face. No. In fact, it was genie. its own character. It became its exactly. own character. Yeah. It, exactly. It's, I mean, like, it, it's, it's watching Will Smith play the genie. Exactly. Like, and exactly. There's, no, there's no disconnect. Exactly what Jake's saying. Like, I was talking to my anchors about it today. There's no disconnect between the character and the actor. And this is the character that is not human. So I don't understand like why they would want to make the character look like Will Smith. Right. Like, and also, also, like he's like... I mean, I love Will Smith, and I grew up on, like, that 90s Will Smith. But he is an Oscar, two-time Oscar-nominated actor. He didn't have to just be Will. I get that, like, yeah, he probably thought they're hiring me to do it as Will Smith. But, like, based on those few lines, it sort of feels like he's kind of just playing Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, he could have tried to do something with the character. Like, yeah, like Robin Williams gives an amazing performance, and, and that's not exactly Robin Williams, it sort of feels like Will Smith just showed up and read the lines as Will Smith would, and he just yeah, so happens okay. to be blue. Like, when you watch yeah. Alita, for example, the character looks like Rosa because that, that's what they're going for, is that realism. Obviously, the big eyes are different, but in this particular case, uh, with animation on on his face, it, it there, it's to me, the whole time I'm watching it, it's like, that's Will Smith. That's all I kept saying to myself. Like, the entire... Even though it was only five seconds or whatever, but I'm like, that's Will Smith. That's the thing. We're, we're basing it on 30 seconds of footage. But that's, that, that, 
But, but, but this is the internet, Sean. That's all I need, baby. You don't release that trailer, right? If that's not close to what your finished product's gonna look like, right? Right? Am I wrong? I mean, is that? Or I would is, imagine is that Disney that now shot going back to the well and going, we, we got to figure something out. Well, that shot, like that shot could be, but, but like he's just coming out of the lamp. He could be, eventually become the shape-shifting, multi-forming bit that Robin Williams did. But I don't think, I don't think they're going in that direction. I don't think that's what they're going to do. Will Smith's last few credits, um, Bright, which was okay, kind of mixed. No. Collateral no. Beauty, Suicide no. Squad. I, oh. I I didn't I did not hate Bright. I thought Bright was actually pretty solid. I mean, it, it had some it had some problems, but I mean, it was Bright it was a better movie in my opinion. A better, which we don't need to get retroactive in our reviews. I think, but it was a better uh, concept on paper. It had the potential to say something bigger than what it did. Right. I thought it was fine. It, it didn't it didn't blow my mind. But it more was fine. importantly, you know what he's filming right now? Bad, Bad Boys, Boys for Life. <laughs> Kevin, we got to get to that set. Bad Boys 2 is one of the greatest action movies of all time, and it always will I be. I actually really do like Bad Boys 2. I mean, we're talking... Mean, that, that, that freeway chase scene is awesome. One is better I mean, than two. One is better than no, two. No, it's not. Oh, yes, no. it is. It's 100% no, it's better than two. Here, no, I'll tell you not. why two is better than one, and there's one shot that explains it, is the 360 shot, shootout shot, in the... I don't know the name of the area they're in, but Martin Lawrence are on one side of the wall. The other bad guys are on the other side of the wall, and it's a 360 shot in and out of windows that is just... But dude, one of my the, favorite the shots. The highway I've ever chase seen. scene in that movie is better than that shot. Uh, th- that's a great scene. And that, but see, then, but see, it's not even the action scenes in Bad Boys Two that I love. Yeah. I love like the scene when they go to the electronics store yeah. and they're like on camera, and that woman uh, is like watching with her kid, and she's like, "You guys need Jesus." That scene makes me laugh. And I then, like, like when they confront the guy who comes to date the daughter too. That's a great hilarious. scene. Hilarious. <laughs> it's a really funny scene. And then on top of that, you have the entire sequence with like Joe Pantoliano's Wusa. Then you have the entire ending shot of them driving through homes in Cuba. I think people use the word Wusa now without <laughs> even knowing where it comes from. Bad Boys Two is is a, is an and that, that, that's the only thing I'm problem. I have a problem with with three, and we can get to this at another point. I, Michael Bay not doing it bothers me. Like, right. like, like, I need Bay Who needs me behind it? those lens. There's two directors. I don't. I don't know their names. They're two. It's it, there's co-directed. Okay. Um. I don't know who it is though. I read up on them, but I don't. I didn't recognize it's them. Adil Adil L Arbi and yeah. Bilal Falal Falal. Yeah. And they did. What else a movie have they called, done? They did a movie in 2015 called Black. And Here's my question. I don't know. You, they, they you must give those somebody. That's what I'm saying. You give those characters over to someone who's not Michael Bay. What have they done to prove that they can even touch the level of Bad Boys Two? Like I don't. You understand. can make that argument about. I mean, who were the Rousseau brothers before they took on Captain America? That's true, but they still had a great, uh, a, a good past with uh, what was their big show. Community? They were, well, they did Arrested Development. Yeah, but, but, what, but what about Arrested Development says these guys... No, I know, but they had but they had successful shows that showed they were good storytellers. Yeah. I don't know who these guys are, and maybe they do have that. I just don't know. I'm, I'm just curious about that thought process. How did yeah. they get to those two guys? All right, we want to get to the trailer for the uh, comedy yesterday that broke right before we started recording our episode. This, for a while, was the untitled uh, Danny Boyle... Richard Curtis collaboration. No one really knew what they were doing, but they were given a prime <laughs> summer slot. And this is the reason why Kevin made, or I made a hot tub time machine joke about Kevin. The concept of this movie is is a really me, cool concept, and it is not from great. Hot Tub Time Machine. It's very clever concept about a man who has an accident 
Uh, what happens? He's riding his bike home. He crashes somehow. Yeah. What, what and happens? And like, is he spending the whole? Yeah, he like gets hit by. And he a wakes car, up in a romantic comedy, right? And he wakes up without <laughs> four teeth. Is he going to be without his teeth the entire movie? No, they come back. This the, his teeth get filled back in throughout the trailer. I think they, they? he must go to a dentist or something. So when he wakes up, he finds that he now lives in an existence where he's the only one who remembers the songs of the Beatles. He ends up playing Yesterday, and his friends like, are not just that. Like Beatles never existed. Right, correct. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, they were never. Yeah, they never existed. And so he starts to capitalize on their songs and claims that they are his songs, that he's a songwriter behind them. And Kevin is convinced that this is <laughs> direct plagiarism of, of Hot Tub first Time of all, First of all, first of all. No, don't backtrack, backtrack on it now, man. You you came out with I'm your not sign on a stick. I like the trailer, actually. I thought it was really good. It's great. Um, I'm excited to see it. Uh, there, there was a bit in Hot Tub Time Machine where I don't remember if it was which character it was. It was Rob Corddry. Both Rob Corddry and Craig Ferguson, um, they manipulate because of the time travel. They, I think one of them starts Google, right? Or I think like, Craig Ferguson okay. takes the songs. But Ferguson takes, uh, Craig, Craig Robinson so. takes the songs. Oh, Craig Robinson. So, yeah. so he, he starts. But then in that sense, then, okay, that to me is, is much closer to the joke in Back to the Future. Where he goes back right. and sings "Johnny Be Good." Yeah, that's there you go. And like so, so, so that's that's what you need to be. Ta- I mean, that is almost the exact <laughs> right. joke. Hitting your head and waking up in a modern day world in which the Beatles never existed is not the same Listen. joke. It's a similar. It's in the ballpark, right. but like, cr- you but know, see, but but it's not it's not plagiarism. It's not the same. Going joke. a step further, first of all, plagiarism. I was kidding about that term. I know what the term means legally speaking. Um, you were screaming plagiarism before <laughs> yeah. we started going I'm live. literally exaggerating. I know plagiarism. I know there's no legal recourse that could get them sued. I joke about that. Um, my point being, though, is that I think yesterday looks good, but I see the Johnny B. Good moment you're talking about Back to the Future. He doesn't claim or get successful off that song. No, but that's the same but joke. Craig Robinson in Hot Tub Time Machine comes back. And does, or whatever, I remember the time frame of it, does these like massive, massive famous songs claiming they're his own. <laughs> it's because, it's the, because they're before yeah. they actually yeah. happen. He, this guy from, from yesterday is not going back to the thirties and then right. singing all the Beatles I mean, listen, songs. It is I'm, today. I'm going to see it. And he's as if they never existed. It, to me, I think it's a wonderful premise. I don't think it's derivative. Of anything it's, else, the only thing that bothers me about it is it is the 84th film this year we've gotten where something happens after someone this year. <laughs> like that oh, concept is happening this, so just often. this year. I mean, I will say, and one thing we were discussing before the podcast um, was, I mean, it's a great trailer, um, but the idea of how they got the rights to the Beatles songs. Yeah. So you have Danny Boyle directing, right? And then yes. you have uh, Richard, Richard Curtis, Curtis writing it. it, who did Love Actually. Mm-hmm. So. There's clearly a British element there, I would assume. Yep. Yeah, he's got. They, these guys have to be friends with, and, and it, with it's, Paul because we were talking. I think it's Paul that owns. I think Paul bought the rights to the Beatles songs back from. And Michael it's also Jackson. one of those concepts where you can't even do this movie unless you have that locked up beforehand. You know, like why do you even write yeah. that script unless you know that you're going to be able to use these songs? And I was. I, I made a joke right. in the text chains. There's a scene where two guys walk out of a, on James Corden's. Stage claiming they'd written these songs. I'm like, it's going to be Craig Robinson and, and Rob Corden. <laughs> I also want to share, <laughs> but, but like to talk about that joke because that's a great moment in the trailer where like it alludes to the fact that it might maybe it's Paul and Ringo, but the two people they show, one of them's barefoot, which is a very John Lennon right, right. thing. 
So could it be John and George? Wait, was John the only one barefoot on Abbey Road? I thought they all were. I don't know. I think I they, think all, they were all were barefoot on Abbey Road. Let me look. I definitely See, think now, they, I uh, thought I Paul think was were. because that was the hint that Paul was dead. Right. Paul's barefoot. Let me let me look it up. I'll double check it. I also want to think, repeat this joke. Oh, you're right. Paul's it is barefoot. Paul that's barefoot. Because yeah. Ooh, okay. So that so that's strongly implying that it is Paul that so comes out. Rob Paul Porter's character in Hot Tub Time Machine was named <laughs> was named Lou. And, and, and the company Lugal. that he forms is Lugal. And that's right. what, that's really it, funny. It's, it's the same concept. That's really funny. It's oh literally the same concept. Oh, my God. <laughs> but oh I'm still going to see it. Yeah. I'm excited I, we all to see are. it. It's a great, it's a I great mean, it looks great. Look, the trailer is very, Now, the actor in the trailer, they say introduced. Introducing. Uh, is he... I mean, oh, I'm assuming cool. he's no name or uh, and or... Is it his first movie? I, I was it said introducing. Uh, I can't remember his name. It starts with an H. Maybe he's a musician. He looked good in the Maybe trailer, they though. Hired him for his musical skills. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you definitely. You that gotta Lily be a James. You gotta be a yeah, yeah, yeah Lily part. James is in it. Yeah, yeah. the trailer, and then uh, the girl from uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was the girl on, on the on the set of Corden. Oh, cool. What's her? Um, oh, I was trying to see. I was trying. I, was I think that's her. Isn't that her? The girl from twenty uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. She's on the set of James Corden as the guest that night, and he's like singing to her. Not Mackenzie Davis. You remember Mackenzie Davis? No, it's not Mackenzie. I'm talking about. It, it's, no, it's um, um, it's Gosling's girlfriend. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think need, that I think that might be her. I think it's her. Um, yeah. is this the first thing Danny Boyle's done since Steve Jobs? He hasn't done anything since then, right? No, he did Trace Body too. Which I really liked, by the way. I like Train Spotty too. As well. I was very happy with that sequel. I remember telling you McGregor that the Christopher Robert Duncan, like he just seemed a little bit defeated that no one had seen it. Like, I don't think it did. It didn't do well. I mean, how many people? Had, how many? Did, I mean, did Train Spotty? Well, I think they well? were hoping on the. They were hoping about the. Uh, oh, the girl's name, by the way, is uh, Anna De Armas. Okay. And let me just double check to make sure it's the same actress. Yep, she's in Yesterday. She plays Roxanne. So she's if you're people who are uh, for. People catching Roxanne. up. She's the girl that in Blade Runner twenty forty nine that combines with um, the character for that so cool. sex sequence. Sex sequence, and then, uh, but she's uh, apparently the. I guess she's in the movie. She must be some type of famous actress, right? Because she's on the couch of James Corden while he's I sitting so. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so now there's a the Beatles movie coming, and then at Sundance there was a movie called Blinded by the Light, which is about a guy who's inspired by Springsteen's songs. Right, and there, there's not, there hasn't been a trailer for that not yet, yet, right? No, but that got a lot of buzz in Sundance and has me really excited because I'm a huge Springsteen fan. What was the name of the What was the name of the Rolling Stones documentary that that Scorsese did about the? Give me was it Give Me Shelter? Uh, he did Shine a Light. He did That's Shine a Light. About. Shine a Light. That was, right. that was a right. more recent one that he did. Plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, jo- uh, I'm joking. I'm joking, everybody. Be- before we got into the podcast this week. <clears throat> We had a lot of talk back and forth about the decision by the Academy um, to leave four categories out of the telecast. And then right before, and we were not happy about the decision at all, as several people are. And we'll point out some other filmmakers who we really admire, who are uh, being very vocal and talking about... um, Including some former guests. uh, Yes, a patron saint, of course, Alfonso Cuaron and uh, Guillermo del Toro. Does del Toro earn the patron saint moniker? Sure. Why not? Right. No? no, I think so. Oh, for no. Gabe, yes. he does. Yeah, I mean, you you make Pan's Labyrinth. You're you're good. Well, then I'm then I'm gonna I'm gonna vote yes, and that's uh. So so you get so one movie, and you you and your face ends up chiseled on the Mount Rushmore. Of real ones made, too. This should, this, should, this should be this should be fantastic. a sit down cover. You don't just throw people painters saints. All right, so who's who's our official patron saints? Nolan, 
Spielberg, David Giselle, Damien, Alfonso, uh, Alfonso. How many people? Rodriguez. Did we, get? Oh, we just throw it. Rodriguez is on there. Tarantino. Oh, Tarantino's on there. There's a yeah. lot. Fincher. Fincher. So directed a film. Congratulations. Yeah. No. For yeah. Yeah. That's not true at all. Apparently. You the director to... of Isn't It Romantic. He's did on you... there too. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, did you direct a movie where you hit your head and something wacky happens to you? Congratulations. Adam Jeff Shankman, patron quick. saint. <laughs> You're in, baby. Um, but right before we started recording, we realized that we were a little bit wrong about the way that this is going to be handled. And we clarified it. This is So the categories that are not going to be televised in their entirety during the Oscars telecast on the Well, no, 24th. you can say televised live because they're not going to be televised, televised live. That, that's, that's the story. Yeah. That's a way to do it. Yes. Is um, makeup and hairstyling, uh, live action short, film editing, and cinematography. And now what we have determined is that those categories will be handed out um, during the In commercials, during commercial breaks. Right. Which, which is, is the biggest slap, which we've yeah, we've been to award shows where they try to do it. And it's a cluster. It it's so disrespectful. People are getting up and going and talking to each other. They're getting up and going yes. to the bathroom. And someone's having one of the greatest moments of their life. That you're trying to sneak out to go pee while it's happening. It is what it is. I've we've all three of us have seen it firsthand. It is one of the most like I've literally seen people on stage complaining about the, how their moment has been reduced down to people getting up and trying to take selfies with other yeah. people. Right, and so it's it's so. So let's. I'm going to read this tweet by Guillermo del Toro to give full clarification. He says. He using uses the word important clarification. He goes, the Academy Awards, quote, no one is being removed from either the in-theater or the ABC live broadcast. This year in voluntary rotation, that will change each year. I don't buy the voluntary thing personally. I, I'm, I'm going off script. Going back to his quote now. You can tell based on like how Wally Pfister yeah. is responding. Right. It's not so voluntary. back to Del Toro's quote, uh, quote unquote, four awards will be given Live in an uninterrupted progression, as always, they will be slightly edited offline in the trailer, such as the walk up from the seat to the stage, as has been done for years in the, with the with the Tony broadcast, and then placed live into the ongoing show. It should be seamless, and most viewers won't notice. So, going back to so the original story or the uh, the the original backlash was that these four categories were being taken out of the show which they still are they're not being done live in the actual broadcast right um they're gonna have as jake said in commercial which is in my opinion even worse than not doing them at all because then everyone's gonna be getting up to go to the bathroom this is the time when people right. start talking to each other it's the it to me it's 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 not right second of all um the two of the categories that are in this particular four group that will then now, apparently, from what I understand, be guaranteed live slots next year. Another four will then rotate out. Which, by the way... Depending on which categories Disney films have been nominated for. Because it is very ironic that the four categories that have been chosen to, to, to have this sort of you know crap honor where you're in the commercial break are... Four, four categories. The four categories that have no Disney films. And the, and the thing you have to note here is why this is still a slap in the face, regardless if they're going to put them into the broadcast as edited versions, is that the the the, the categories that they're rotating. Does that does that mean we're going to come across a year where Best Picture gets taken out? No, no. or Best Actor or Actress or Never. Supporting. So they're still, they're still deciding, deciding what's important, no. which what's is not. ridiculous. And they'll so always they be will, below the line. 
Right. So what they're basically saying is these awards, these categories are not important enough to be in our live show. So that gets back to the point of two of the awards in this category that I find fascinating that they deem not important to be on a broadcast live stage. Editing and cinematography. And let's talk, I mean, Sean, if you want to read these, I don't know if you have them in front of you. Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro have both tweeted out very interesting notes about why editing and cinematography are important. And I was on the, on the air today saying, giving my, my, my control room and my, and my behind-the-scenes staff credit, because could you imagine my morning show tomorrow going on the air without a camera and without an editor? So it would be all raw footage, hours of footage of, of, of stories that were then not edited down to a two-and-a-half-minute package, and then there's no camera. So you're watching... It, it would be like, like trying to honor this show and not talking about games. Right. It's just right. stupid and it's <laughs> silly and it's pointless. So, 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 yeah, I mean, like, that's it's pretty. And then Wally Fister's been very vocal, Chivo's been very vocal. Um, regardless if they're going to string together an edited bite of somebody accepting their award, what does that mean? Are they going to cut them down to 30 seconds? Are they going to give them 20 seconds? We're not going to get their reaction. It'll be a quick get, montage. We're yeah. not going to get their walk to the stage. So, right. And also, like, if they're big worried, like, oh, we're cutting it, like, they're still going to be on the show, but we're cutting out their walk to the stage. Sit them closer to well, the stage. And what people also don't realize, well, like, 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 this is, yes, it's really important for the people in the room, but a lot of times it's, it's the people who have their supporters who are back home watching on television, right? right. So now you have to... A, hopefully win an Academy Award, but you have to hopefully win an Academy Award in the year where they deem it worthy to air your <clears throat> your yeah. category. And I've been reading stories of people tweeting out these amazing stories of people who learned what cinematography and editing was yeah. by watching the Oscars. And some of them went on to become yeah. gigantic cinematographers because of the inspiration they received from a speech by Roger Deakins, whatever, whoever it would be. So, I mean, here's the thing, like, and I'm not knocking the other two categories. I mean, hair and makeup is obviously very important. Live action is short. Um, I'm not going to sit here and dictate which ones I think are important or not because everyone probably has their reasoning as to why one or the other is important. But editing and cinematography should be above the line categories. Those are not below the line. Now, sound mixing, sound editing, if you want to get into that detail, you could make an argument that, that that may be below the line even though it's important. But you're talking about the two most essential things to cinema. And that's what well, Alfonso, this is Alfonso's uh, I have Alfonso's tweet. Read says, this. This is amazing. In the history of cinema, masterpieces have existed without sound, without color, without a story, without actors, and without music. No one single film has ever existed without cinematography and without editing. Is his tweet. I think Boom. that's that's fantastic. Mic drop. Yeah. And, and drop. the thing about Perfectly Alfonso said. too is that he's He's in the cinematography category because um, he did his own cinematography, did his own DP for Roma. Um, and I believe Roma's in the editing category. I'd have to double check that. But he has the ability because he's also in director and in, in multiple instances is considered the front runner for Roma to say to the Academy, I'm not coming if you continue to go down this road because it feels to me that the Oscars telecast you're going to shave at most, what, 15 minutes off the show by doing this? Right. So just, you either include them all and just give us the longer show, which to me, it's it's a little bit madness. 
that I was one of those people on the bandwagon that was like, the show's too long. They have to make some changes. They have to it do something. It is too long. But it's but they can cut other things. They can cut other things. Yes, cut exactly. Cut musical numbers. Make entrances shorter. Um, I mean, like, I saw a tweet today that said, like, who are you trying to please here? The Oscar audience is very... Is a loyal audience. We like watching our. They're chasing an audience that doesn't right. want them. Didn't so they I don't one want... year bring the Oscars to the people, the below the line people in the crowd. Did that happen one year? Did they? Why do I feel I remember, remember that like they met them in the audience and handed them their trophy? Am I making I, that up? Why don't the no, don't you think that, that the easiest way to get ABC to cave is if all the nominees step forward together as a group and said. We're not going to show up unless you present the categories. But uh, yeah, like if if Glenn Cl- like it would. Here's the deal: it would take all yeah. of them. It couldn't just be a couple of them, and it sure as hell couldn't be just a couple of them that are probably going to lose. It would take Rami Malek, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Glenn Close, Alfonso Cuarón stepping forward as a group right. together and saying, "You present all 24 categories, or we don't show up." And then your cat, and then your show gets really short because every person that's going to win isn't going to be there to give yeah. a speech. Then I guarantee you ABC caves. And nothing shows hypocrisy like an easy solution to make someone And cave. they certainly caved really quickly after the popular Oscar category also. They were exactly. like, we're going to do this. Do you guys think, and we, like, do you guys really think that they're going to cave and turn around and come back I on think, this? I, I don't think I they're think going to. I think cinematography to. and editing will be in the live show. And now let me ask you this. What would our discussion be right now if it was these four categories? Documentary short, animated short, Sound editing, sound mixing. The only the only categories I genuinely believe life goes on without a minute or the show. But let me categories. ask you this: We're making an argument right now for editing and, and cinematography. Yeah, I hate to say important. that because I sound but, like a hypocrite. But if it's those four categories you just right. mentioned, I'm okay with it. So it, it, it's interesting. But sound, I think sound should be in it, man. Sounds, I agree, but sounds a crucial part of film. I think an argument could be made. And I'm, I'm not trying to be that guy, but I think an argument could be made that those four may be lesser important to... See, here's the thing. They're taking three of those categories that are not airing are essential to what the best picture looks like. I get what you're saying, but also if, if they're... You're, I mean, they're so concerned about movies winning that are popular that people know... And it's always a blockbuster that wins the sound awards. It's always like a Transformers but no movie one, or yeah. an Avengers but, movie. But when yeah. someone gets up to accept like, it, so, they don't know who so they that's are. At least that's when people's – they don't know who they are, but at least that's when people's ears perk up. They're like, oh, I know these movies that are nominated, so at least let me pay attention to that. Like how many of us really – I mean honestly, I can't tell you the last time I saw all the short films Could you imagine, I think I, before. No. So like – could you imagine if, like, Deacons May, finally yeah. won and it was the year he wasn't live? Like, <laughs> I mean, he missed it by one year. Oh yeah. my God! No, I know. Uh, and and then and then so so where are the rules here? What happens? How much other speech can we see? Are know. they going to be strung together in one four uh, four montage of the four categories? Are you going to splice them in? And then and then what happens if during the break? What if the, what if someone wins and the guy next to them is like talking to his friend? Yeah, they'll, I just they'll find come back be... and they'll say earlier in the broadcast, or earlier in the telecast, we gave out these four nominations and they'll go ba 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 right through them really fast. And they'll just show the winners and they'll give like a quick soundbite of what they said while they when they went up there to get it. I just feel like, you know, they, there needs to be someone that needs to cut together a montage of some of the greatest 
cinematography moments in the history of cinema. Like, could you imagine with Jaws without the um, dolly zoom uh, on Roy Scheider's face? Could you imagine? Like, there's so many different things that need to play into people's minds as to why. And I, I will, I'll, I'll give my anchors credit today because I was on the air and they they jokingly make fun of me because I'm really into filmmaking. And they're like, oh, Kevin, okay, we understand. You're like, you're, you're into the filmmaking thing, so we get why you'd be upset about this. But each one of them was in full agreeance that editing and cinematography are essential to the award show. And these are these these are people who aren't as massive cinephiles as I am that I would that probably watch the show, you know, just you know, as an as a casual viewer. Well, also because those are two tools that it takes to put together news packages. That's as what well. I said on the air this morning. I said So there's, yeah. so there's an understanding. I, I pointed there. to our screen and I said, I want our viewers out there to imagine right now that you're not seeing us and every package you're watching in the next hour has not been cut. Right. And tell me if this news ca- newscast is well, still good e- for you. Editing is such a bellwether of what's going to win Best Picture. Like, I, I it's been so yeah. difficult for a film. Which is to interesting because Roma isn't nominated. Oh, it's not. You verified that? No, Roma is not. Jake nominated. has a very interesting statistic about this. So, Jake, talk about the ed- the editing nomination in congruent uh, in in relation to the win of the Best Picture. Well, no, I mean normally it's just that. Normally, I think I think the closest um, award attached to winning Best Picture is editing um and i think normally in order to uh i i I forgot this i threw this statistic out a few weeks ago now but it's a big number editing is a huge influencer of what wins oh yeah Yeah. it's a massive number so i mean but like that that's interesting to me and i do i do wonder why if i'm the academy and you're going to start implementing this particular rule why don't you start off with some of the smaller ones first Jump in with the four, four maybe that aren't gigantically important to the essential look of a film and the sound of a film, or the, or just realize that you're the freaking Academy Awards and your job is not to glorify people who are on, movie stars are on TV every day. This is the yeah. one day where the cinematographer and the editor and the sound mixer and the sound like this is the one day. That they get up on set, and I'm so sorry that it takes an extra 30 minutes and that we don't get to your local news ABC broadcast in which they're going to talk about the Oscars. But, like, I'm sorry. Like, and the, the one of the, the, the biggest Oscar audiences of the last 15 years was the year that Denzel and Halle Berry won. That was one of the longest. That was a four-and-a-half-hour broadcast. It was watched by 42, 43 million people. The problem is not the right, time. Right. That is, that's never been an issue. If people care about the films that are nominated and people care about who is nominated and they're engaged, then they're into okay. it. Also, uh, and we mentioned this in the text chain. Sorry, Sean. Um, real, just one little thing I want to say. Um, I was talking. About, I, I always make a comparison to sports on the air because, like, I'll do a segment with a buddy of mine, Steve, who's a big sports guy, and I'm, and and he's not as big of a movie fan as I am. So I, I, and this is on Fox Five here in DC to plug that if you're listening. Um, but you know, essentially, we meet on an even playing field. I understand he's not the biggest cinephile, and he understands I'm not the biggest sports fan. So I explain. I can't remember what the. Um, I, I always say that the Oscars are the Super Bowl. Uh, of you know of the of the movies, so basically, and, and Jake made a joke about Red Zone. I said, imagine watching the Oscar or the Super Bowl, but they only show you some passes and some touchdowns, but none of the defense or any of the work that goes into the actual plays leading up to those right. moments. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's that's what we do the next right. morning, right? We do like a recap of the things you need to know, and the people that watch that are the people that don't really care that much, but they're going into work today, so they kind of want to know what ones right. they could be a part of the conversation or. A but, baseball but game. The, the Oscars are chasing where they them. They just don't show you the sixth and seventh inning. 
Or, or they just show you the home runs. Because they're not that important. I, I, to, to me, it, like, it sounds like someone that wants to watch an action movie. They want to watch The Matrix, but they only want to fast forward to the action right. scenes. They, wanna, they don't, they don't want to hear the explanation of why, like how The Matrix works or listen to the conversations between the characters. They just want to see okay, that substance. I, that's a perfect analogy. It's February 12th. Tw- and, and people like that don't understand movies and they don't I'm deserve to watch to the Oscars. It's February 12th. What wins Best Picture? Roma. Roma. Ooh. Yeah, I'm saying Roma. Roma We will have one more show before the Oscars, I think, and we'll be able to give our um, guesses in the major categories. Only the televised ones, though. I'm not talking about any of these other stupid categories. Like those peasant categories. Kid table categories. Concerned that that envelope's going to open up and they're going to say Green Green Book. Green Book? I'm I'm telling you, if that happens. And now, from now on, every... Fairly Brothers movie, we'll say from Academy yes. Award winner Peter Fairley. Peter Fairley. And um, his we are uh, going through the Best Picture nominees that Michelle hasn't seen yet. And on Saturday, we did Green Book. And uh, she was an hour into it. And she turns to me and she goes, Okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's can, fine. We can, it we can pop it out. It's fine. It's There's a good <laughs> movie. It, it, it's fine. It's, it's perfectly yeah. pleasant. It's but, cheese like, pizza. She, like she Jake says. Like, is it going to go? It's the John Favreau of Best said, Picture nominees. Is it going to go anywhere after movie. this? And I was like, no, this is, you got it. This is it. She's like, all right. You guys realize we'll never get rid of John <laughs> And she said, yeah, right. she did say too, she was like, this, bro, this is not in the same level playing field as Roma. She loves Roma. She thinks Roma is incredible. So, I, well, because she's amazing. That's why Michelle has great taste in movies. She does. So, yeah, <laughs> I, by the way, uh, here comes Jake with his pillow. Um, by the way, uh, for people who may be tuning in for the first time, Jake, give a quick thirty-second uh, uh, idea of where the, where the cheese pizza joke is. So, just in oh. case we have a new new listener, yeah. Are very very early on in this podcast, and if you haven't listened to every episode, what are you doing with your life? We made a joke about John Favreau uh, taking over the Star right. Wars series, and I said that John Favreau was a perfectly fine director, but he wasn't one that I particularly got excited about. Like I didn't get excited. I don't get excited about the new John Favreau movie. I think his films are perfectly fine. I don't think he necessarily has his own particular style that excites me. I re- referred to him as the cheese pizza of directors. Like he's perfectly fine, and if you put it in front of me, I'm going to eat it and probably be perfectly right. happy with yeah. it. But do I like? Do I wake up in the morning going, God, I can't <laughs> wait for a good old slice of cheese pizza? No. Gabe, Gabe, no. can I have 120 seconds to tell one quick funny story about Jake real fast? Of course. All right, so Jake and I were at uh, a junket over the weekend for uh, Isn't It Romantic? Um, and, uh, there's a huge, long, uh, ongoing joke between Jake and I about hamburgers, um, hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, so Jake is from Texas and rightfully so he's defending his brand of burgers, Whataburger. Uh, I am just heads up. You got a lot of Texas listeners. I, podcast, that's fine. Brother. They don't know what Whataburgers. They don't know. Well, no, no, Sean. It's what Sean, a burger. They don't know what a burger. What they don't a know burger. what a burger is, so they called it what a burger. They don't they haven't figured it out yet. We'll get to that. As opposed to the impact that Kevin's burgers, the the impact that Kevin's burgers have on you, which is they go in and come out. So, and by the way, I'm from the Washington. We're not doing this. We don't have time no, to get into this. From I'm, this 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 was a this was a five this is a hour very ordeal. funny ironic story. Gabe, yes. you opened up this gate. This Jake, is your you know fault. this is funny. Hold Hope on, you're happy. So. I'm Is from it? Washington D.C., so Five Guys would be would be my Whataburger, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, but I, I like Five Guys. It's very yeah, good. you love In and Out. In and Out's my favorite burger ever. So, anyway, so we're in L.A. We make a plan that Saturday night we're going to go to In and Out Burger after we get back from this event we were at for Isn't It Romantic. 
<laughs> the whole day, I'm like making fun of Jake. The idea that he likes Whataburger. <laughs> We're like making fun of the name of it. What is a burger? They don't know what it is. Like it's a whole thing. So we get up from the, the restaurant that, in our hotel to go to uh, In-N-Out, which is right down the street. We get there, and keep in mind, Chris Van Vliet, who's a friend of ours, who's hosted this show before, we have been giving Jake such a hard time about <laughs> Whataburger that we get there, we get in line, we're getting ready to... Like, okay, can I just say, like, berating <laughs> Like, yeah. Like, like, like <laughs> to the point where, like, it? if you didn't know us, other people would come... Well, it's because yeah, it's us, yeah. and we can yeah, do yeah. that with each other, and that's, that's, what, that's what bros do. It's, but, like, if other people heard us outside, they'd be like, Jesus, these are really harsh <laughs> was, on this yeah, guy. Yeah. And it looked bad, because I was giving it just as much as right. I was getting it, but it looked bad because it was two-on-one. Yeah. Right, so, so Jake was like, you know, Jake does his in-and-out joke about the burger and what it does to your body, whatever. Um, so we're, we're doing the water burger, whatever. And I was making the jokes in enemy territory, I might yeah, say. Yeah, and, and I'm also making jokes that, like, they take their, that water burger takes their burgers and puts it under a water faucet before they give it to you, it's called water burger. I mean, we're just kind of having fun with the names. So we get there, and then we're all excited. This has been built up all day. Chris and I both forgot our wallets. Jake, <laughs> Jake Hamilton had to buy. No, 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 no. Oh. Rephrase that. Jake Hamilton didn't have to do a damn thing. Jake Hamilton, out of the kindness of his freaking Roma not loving heart, true. bought your stupid in and out burgers. Oh, because that's what we do on the Why do you, da- you, how do you two not have wallets with you? No, that, that. Because they're children. No. And children like in and out burger. And so the irony of the situation was, I know there's really no payoff to the story, but it was a, gl- it was, <laughs> it, really it was not. a, glo- it was, and, and you know what? In real life, there was no, no. payoff either because what I paid for it was in and out. You made no, no, Jake no, no, look no. like a good guy at but the end the of this re- story. The reason I brought this up, for, I did Venmo Jake his money back. It was, was thirty dollars. Uh, second of all, uh, Jake. So so and, and so the, the the spin was that Kevin ended up paying for it. I did pay for everybody, but Jake ended up getting two double. I was starving. I was starving. <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing this up. I hadn't eaten all day. The reason I'm bringing this up is because you made a joke about eating cheese pizza from Favro. If it's put in front of you, you'll just eat it. Jake annihilated. Two massive double cheeseburgers One, I eat quick. in I eat quick. five minutes. They're not bad if burgers. That, if that man, they're not. I never can, said they were bad. Can burgers. say he doesn't like In and Out. Yeah. as much as we all. I never said I don't you don't like love In and Out. You don't. Oh my God, you're the internet right uh, now. You don't love In and Out. Correct. Correct. You like In and Out. It's it's perfectly. Well, fine. you're wrong. It's the best burger ever. But it just it was the delicious irony of Jake having to pay for it. Got it. It was just a funny junket story that I wanted to share. I love I it. thought it was funny, but it was... That, Jay, there you go. That's what I wanted to explain. Right Come We're on, all going like to meet at Chick Shack somewhere. No, God. <laughs> no, I don't want to take out a mortgage on this my This week in movies. Let's, we're going to go really fast. we got to get to Rodriguez Blend. we got to get to... And, we we have an actual interview with Robert Rodriguez. Stop, stop talking about burgers. We have to get to the, <laughs> the meat of this podcast, for God's sake. Oh. Uh, has anyone seen I Happy see Death Day to you? We're not reviewing them. We're just no, recommending. But I really, them. but I really actually really want to because I really enjoyed the first I'm one. I'm gonna first go out of my I really, It's super. Oh, and you're not over here with your little plagiarism sign. First of all, plagiarism. plagiarism, plagiarism I was joking with. Yeah. I was just making a point that it reminded me of that joke. But I will say this. Russian Dolls, another show I'm watching now. Uh, similar, I guess, rewinding of reliving the same day on Netflix. Really good, by the way. I think it's oh. Natasha Leone from American Pie. Yeah. Really good if you get a chance to watch it. But Happy Death Day to you is, yeah, the sequel. So. Actually, I actually may point, make a point to go see it just on my own because I really, oh. really enjoyed the first one. And I think that that girl that is the lead actress, excuse me, I forget her name, just owns that part. Yeah. Completely owns that part well, and really sells it very well. Lauren made me watch it on Blu-ray and I was... 
super impressed with it. I mean, yeah, it's very good. I've been told that nothing you expect about the sequel um, is like it, it doesn't deliver what you think. It goes someplace. So I would advise all of you guys, and if you happen to be listening to this early, avoid stuff and just go. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just go. Don't read anything about it. It's, it's apparently has a lot of great surprises. Yeah. And if you haven't seen the first one, even though I haven't seen the second one, I'd argue you need to, like, just just I, hearing that it's like Groundhog Day in a horror movie doesn't do it. Like, you need to see yeah. the bit, and you need to understand the character, and you need to, I, I would argue you need to see she the She is great. One. Okay, isn't it romantic? Any good? I thought it was clever. Is it? I, 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 I honestly, I, I would borderline enjoy huh. it. I, I, I liked what it, I, I like films that sort of poke fun at movies. I liked that it poked fun at what it means to be a PG-13 romantic comedy. I liked that it po- poked fun at that, uh, uh, this girl who wanted to do all of these R-rated things but couldn't because she was stuck in a PG-13 world. I liked the self-awareness of it. Is it great? No, but I thought it was... I, I enjoyed it from a movie going... From a movie fan standpoint. Did it make fun of the trailer for The Hustle? Because that's what I did all day. <laughs> I didn't see it. Oh. Oh. The Hustle looks so oh bad. Oh my God. It looks, it looks so, so like... Like Anne Hathaway won an Oscar. What is she doing? <laughs> it is not. It, there, there are no jokes in that trailer. None whatsoever None. at all. Like oh, even lines God, that are supposed so to bad. land as really fun. And 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 poor Rebel Wilson, who just becomes the. I'm I'm a big Blood girl, so I'm falling down all the time. Like every joke that they cut to, Anne Hathaway is like in a really pretty cocktail dress, and then Rebel Wilson like slides into a wall. With, you know, her private parts facing out. And it's like, oh, God, you're, you're better than this. You, you should be better than this. And she's really good in Isn't It Romantic? I, I, yeah, she sells I, it. I mean, she owns it. That's why it works. Did you like it? Did you like I, it? I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I thought it was I thought it was fine. I, and again, yeah, I thought, yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of none of the teen movies, so it just really, really reminded me of that movie. Like, it was like, almost jokes that are uh, exact. Um, but wouldn't you say plagiarism. movie fans? No, plagiarism. Oh my God, <laughs> that word. I said at the top of the show. I don't mean that word. It's not. A, it's not the right terminology for. We're gonna run joking. out of time with Kevin. Um, uh, Jessica Roth is the name of that girl from Happy Death Day. Gabe is letting me know. Um, fighting with my family. I'm. I'm actually uh, in Orlando. If we were. If we were doing the Facebook Facebook Live, you guys would be able to see my backdrop is different. I'm in a hotel going to tomorrow. I'm going to the. Uh, WWE experience down here and that next uh, generation, the thing that the girl Paige from the movie Fighting With My Family was invited to to go train at and we're going to do um, they're going to walk us through how to do our own intro uh, to the ring. Cool. Picking the music and I guess having the oh, special cool. effects and everything and then we're going to get to meet Paige and interview her and then um, we'll have it on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. So I'm down here for that. I, I, oh, that's fun. I liked fighting with my family a lot. I thought it was really fun. I did too. Um, I did it's too. a good story. It's it, it's a it's cliched um, and it's it's exactly what you expect it to be. But there's a great family dynamic in it. So the 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 hook of it is this whole family from the outskirts of England are obsessed with wrestling. The parents and the, and the son even more so than the daughter. And then there's an open audition and the brother and sister get to go together and she makes it and he doesn't. All this is in the trailer. I'm not giving any thoughts away. But it's the way that they play that dynamic for the rest of the movie that I thought made it really, really compelling. Because her rise through the wrestling ranks is typical underdog sports um, material. But, but the relationship with the brother and the rest of the family I thought was really well done. 
I, I want to make two points. One is, I, for me, the biggest glowing endorsement that I can give this movie is that I don't like wrestling. Yeah. I didn't grow up with wrestling. I don't care about wrestling. I don't follow wrestling. I don't know who any wrestlers are. But I found myself really into this movie. And I want to challenge you on one bit. Like, there there are a couple of elements that are like, yeah, very cliche. But I also found that there are a couple elements that really took what I think they thought I was expecting and then kind of flipped it. Yep. The, the main point being the other girls in the group that she's wrestling with. At first, her almost introduced as these very superficial 2D characters that were just written to hate. And then there's a moment where we realize that not only did she underestimate these girls because they have their own passions and their own loves and their own fears, but that we did as well. And it also turns out that like they're actually not these bad cliches that those characters are normally written as. Yeah. She saw them that way. We saw them that way. And then we kind of pause and go, oh, they're actually not bad people. We both we and the lead character didn't give them a chance, right? And I thought that was sort of an interesting spin on an otherwise, yeah, pretty cliche. So this is kind of a blockbuster weekend. Everything that's coming out, we basically recommend. Isn't it romantic? Works for what it is. We like finding with my family. Um, we're all three of us probably going to go out of our way to go see Happy Death Day ourselves, and that leads us into Alita: Battle Angel. And um, I will just quickly say uh, about it, and then you guys can weigh in. Um, I, I think the visuals are stunning. Um, this is uh, a, a new world created by uh, Robert Rodriguez with a lot of help from James Cameron and all of the people at Weta. Um, I, I think it's an intriguing introduction to the world, um, a good first chapter. I do kind of want to see where it goes. But to me, the visuals are the are the selling point. It's go see it on a big screen because um, you really want to see everything that they've done um, in, in 3D, probably, but it's not like it wasn't Avatar level 3D to me, but the visuals were really, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, whenever there's a movie that that is sort of this this beautiful mess, I think, as we've been calling it, where like just the script itself is just kind of just all over the place and not great. Sometimes I wonder, has James Cameron ever heard people speak <laughs> ever? Yeah. Like at what point do two people ever speak like that? But then you know, like then sometimes my fallback argument is like, but it's 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 a beautiful film, and if you want to see it visually, it's worth going to see. But and it is, it is a it is an absolutely just it is a breathtaking to look at, and the action sequences are really. I mean, when they when they crank it up, they crank it up to eleven, and it's cool to see. But is there really anything there that we haven't seen before visually? Right. Enough to say it gets a pass for the script. Enough for me to tell someone at home. Even though the script sucks, and even though the story's not great, still go sp- spend oh, see, $12 on it. I thought the it. story was good. Not- I liked the story. Um, I agree with the dialogue bits, um, but I, I was interested in the world that they were establishing of Alita. And I could see some places where it's going to go. Um, but, like, don't, didn't it bother you that half the movie is setting up for the sequel? There are like half the story, half the threads in that movie don't pay off because they turn they, they turn into, now you gotta come back for Avatar, or what, what is it? Not Avatar, whatever. Alita. Alita 2. Alita 2. Electric Boogaloo. That bothers me a little bit, but do you know what, Jake? You actually asked Robert Rodriguez that exact same question about setting up material for future episodes. I did ask him that question. In our interview. Kevin, before I throw to the interview, do you have anything you want to weigh in about Alita? Yeah, I liked Alita a lot. I actually was... I don't think I've, until this date, have ever seen a film get photorealism right on someone's face like that. Like, right. it was... It's. I mean, I know the eyes are bigger, but um, it's pretty... Photo real, like it's actually kind of freaky how good it looks. I mean, when she's eating things like that, um, there was just little things about the way she looked, uh, her mouth, the way she smiled. Um, I, 
I've never seen anything that get that close to photorealism. And I've been watching a lot of Zemeckis over the years. who has been trying to get that, you know, Polar Express, uh, even stuff in Marwin, things like that. I mean, there's definitely um, Beowulf. And, and again, I'm just talking about visually. I'm not talking about yeah, films. Yeah. Oh um, my God, Zemeckis, you're right. Zemeckis been chasing this. Yes, wow. yeah. And that's, I forgot about Beowulf. And, 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 and you've not been able to really capture what a photorealistic person would look like. Um, and it's incredible. See, I argue that this film does move the needle in regards to visual effects. I mean, you have Rosa on set in performance capture. Now, Avatar, the way they did Avatar was they had one standard deaf camera facing the actor's face when they did the Na'vi, um, which was fine, and it looked amazing at the time. I don't think Avatar holds up visually. Um, I think it looks a little dated and video gamey. Um, but this time around, they jo- they put two HD cameras in front of her face and under her rig with dots all over her face, and she's interacting with everybody on set. Christoph Waltz, everybody. And there's a sense of realism that I've never felt in a, in a, with a digital character uh, interacting with real people. Um, so that being said, I think the visuals and then the mode, what's the called? The moto motorball, motorball. motorball. Those scenes are unbelievable. Um, that being said though, the script, uh, is very thin, very much like avatar, uh, where it, like Jake said, the writing doesn't, the, the, the dialogue does not feel like there's like sequences. I can't remember the, the gentleman's name who plays her love interest. Just the way he like says dialogue. It was just, it was not, it was not <laughs> said like a, like someone would say it. Like it, right. it was very strange. Um, that being said, though, the action scenes are unbelievable. And yeah. I, I don't think an action... an action The bar scene, yeah. the bar fight right. is fantastic. The bar fight's amazing. The motorball sequences are incredible. Um, there's lots of things about this movie that I liked. And I think Rodriguez does a great job of making a PG-13 film still feel R-rated in regards to violence. Uh, it's brutal. Um, surprisingly brutal. Um, so that being said, I, I, I was impressed with it very much on a visual standpoint. It's frustrating because I wish the script was better. Very right. much... Uh, how I felt about Avatar, but I recommend it. I definitely recommend seeing it on the biggest screen possible. I think it's worth seeing. Um, I like the action a lot, and I think the performance capture alone is outstanding. I mean, it is outstanding. Um, so that's where I land on it. I didn't but, love it, but I liked it a lot. But really, enough about us talking about Alita. Let's have Robert Rodriguez tell us all about Alita in our exclusive Real Blend interview with the director of Alita Battle Angel, Mr. Robert Rodriguez. All right, Mr. Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to have you. We're huge fans of your films and we're huge fans of Alita also. Thanks for joining us. Sure thing, absolutely. Uh, Being able to see the film and to sort of track its progress over the years, uh, I was able to go to Troublemaker uh, for an event you guys did right before South By. And what amazed me then watching the finished film is how much of Iron City existed. Like I saw physical buildings and rooms that your cast (laughs) was going through. So just talk about like, I think when people see Alita, they think, oh, it's going to be a lot of CG, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't. It's a lot of practical sets. Can you talk about that? Well, you know, people do more and more green screen sets, you know, just to just to kind of push it to post sort of thing, keep the production kind of going fast and lean. But um, and I tend to, you know, Jim and I have been friends for 25 years, so I, I've always seen his process, but I don't think I ever really understood what made us different. I always knew I loved his movies. I didn't know how he did it. I'm not as analytical as him, you know, so uh, I thought just by being around him, it'll rub off on me a little bit. Hopefully I'll get some of that analytical side. And he wasn't even analyzing. He was just telling me his philosophy. My stuff tends to be very whimsical, you know. I, I, like I have a guy with a guitar case, fire a missile 
from it. I don't think the audience really needs to know how it works. I think they got it's dream logic in that movie. But that wouldn't fly with Jim, though. You know, he would be like, how does that work? What's the engineering behind it? How does that even reload and it blow up in his face? I don't believe it. it pulls me out of the movie. I don't buy it. <laughs> and I would be like, you know, well, that's his movies. And, and then so this movie, I asked him, well, how would you approach a world like this? And he goes, for me, science fiction and fantasy has to be utterly believable, completely real and grounded. Otherwise, you don't buy the fantasy. You believe there's an alien queen because Sigourney is so grounded, because the world is so grounded. really feels like this is a military in the future. And I was like, wow, I have to throw out how I make my movies completely. <laughs> I change my tactics completely. <laughs> you know, instead of shooting this with a green screen like I did Sin City and having this sort of layer of artifice over everything where everything just kind of feels phony and stylized or like a manga come to life, threw that out. I wanted it to feel more like a Jim Cameron film where it was grounded by... I'm going to go even further than he does anymore. You know, I'm going to actually go and make it real sets, real locations, real eating an orange, real actors around her. More work for Weta. They have to match her now into everything around her that's real as reference. You know, like on Pandora... If you go, oh, well, the alien doesn't look that real. We'll say, well, the plant next to him isn't real either. You know, you know, who knows what that looks like? <laughs> Everybody knows what an orange looks like or a table or the bar. I mean, it's so tangible and gritty. I wanted it to feel more gritty and real so that you believed it. So you could ground it and then buy the fantasy and buy her, believe her. She'll look more real. And then after a while, you forget she's even CG. You just feel the emotion of her and, and the, the humanity of her. So I thought that was really key. That's why we built so much of the set so that we wouldn't be using green screen right behind the actor. It'd be real set anywhere we pointed and use, if anything, just to extend the set up and far away where it doesn't matter as much. You know, Mr. Rodriguez, this is such an honor to have you on. As somebody, I I met you in New Zealand. We did the um, performance capture at Weta. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) You did a great job. Thank (laughs) you. I had my Rebel Without a Crew book on me. I was like, I was freaking out um, to be there. But, you know, there's a great sequence in this film where Rosa's character's in a bar. It's just an epic fight sequence. And I kept thinking to myself, how awesome would this be if she were to walk into the From Dust Till Dawn bar, which I won't say on the air because we can't say the name. Um, (laughs) But if you were to write and direct a sequence where she walked in there and were to take all those vampires out, how would you envision that? Wow, that's kind of hard to... I have to reverse engineer it in my brain because she actually did walk in the Dustal Dawn bar. That is the bar I used in Dustal Dawn. We just redressed it for the Kansas bar. <laughs> so, oh my so God, hard. I mean, if you watch the Dustal Dawn bar in the series, I built it and I used it for three seasons. And then I just kept, I keep all my sets up. I still have Iron City up. So we looked at it and went, I love the bones of this place. Let's just move the bar over here. Let's put the stairs there instead of there. And we're kind of done. It's kind of like looks just like the bar in in the graphic novel. Um, Robert, I got to tell you real fast, that was the greatest experience of my life because the party at the South by thing was held in the Kansas. Yeah, bar. yeah. And, and when I'm looking around and I'm I'm like, I think I'm here in the from. It is. So did they tell you it was or you just thought that? No, you confirmed it. Yeah, for okay, me later yes, that I night. told I you, asked yeah. you that night and you were like, yeah, it's the same bar. And then I just felt like the, I texted everyone I knew to be like, I'm actually having. Well, that was what was so great party. about that bar fight is that it's a. It's a little girl walks into a bar and clears it out. You know, that's just just a funny joke. You know, she beats everybody up that's in there. So that would work with the vampires as well. I mean, you would just stage it. I don't know if you saw, but even Quentin said that I topped the Dust Till Dawn bar fight with the television version. If you see the TV version, it's episode seven. 
It's the opening scene in it. She does a snake dance with a two-headed snake, and the bar oh. fight is off the hook. And he went, you topped the original on a TV schedule. So well, I'd already done it once before, so now I knew exactly what to do, what to avoid, what stuff I didn't get the first time. And it's really kind of awesome. You, I think if you watched it, you would say, okay, that's what the Alita fight would look like. I mean, it goes crazy. It goes insane. It still blows my mind that the lead singer is literally holding a person's body as the guitar. <laughs> it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I, I was just pulling stuff. I wasn't in the script. I was. I just drew it. I just drew that out. I thought, what's the craziest shit you could have in this movie? Because <laughs> it's got to feel surreal, like you're in some Bunuelian nightmare, you know. And I drew that out, and I thought, that's kind of funny. I've never seen that before. So I made the effects guy make it. And it was so grotesque when they brought it on set. And it almost made me throw up. It was so gross. It looked so real. It's flopping around. So I don't show it too much because it was, like, repulsive. Because when you draw something as a cartoon. Like rocking with it, too. He's rocking with it. really rocking with it. And I was like... When you draw it out, it looks kind of funny because I'm a cartoonist. You know, that's the difference between Jim and I. Like, I started as a cartoonist. Jim started as an illustrator. So a cartoonist is more whimsical. Like, that's whimsical. But it, it just was so real, all of a sudden, it was just gross. And he was more like realism, you know, illustration, stuff that's real. So that that's kind of, you know, we, we get along great because we're both really hands-on kind of guys. But I like how he makes, he, he makes his movies that they feel like they can play around the world people can believe it, even as fantastical as it is. So I, I really wanted to try that on this one. I'm going to tell you one more bar fight story that's really funny. I don't know if you heard oh, about yeah. this. But um, when I went to go do the bar fight, it was such a big bar fight in his script. It was like 12 pages long. So I thought, this, i, I got to wrap my head around how to pull this off and make it. It's got to be great because it was great in the graphic novel. It was great in the script. i got to make sure it comes off on screen. So I looked up on YouTube top 10 bar fights just to, like, see what people had done. Because, you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't really remember any great bar fights. And I thought, there's probably some really great ones I never saw. And I don't want to accidentally tread on something. Then people say, hey, were you copying the, you know. So I look it up, and I called Jim all excited. and said, Jim, I saw, I looked up top ten bar fights. Four of the top ten are ours. Had Terminator 1, Terminator 2, <laughs> Dustal Dawn, and Desperado. I guess that's just what we do. I, we got to top this one. So he showed up on the set for the bar fight. <laughs> so we got to top awesome. ours. And I'm adding two days to the schedule. <laughs> People are now going to have to make a new YouTube video that now involves... And put that one in like the fifth one, and then Melita. we'll have half of them, and then we just keep going from there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, Robert, I was saying this is really cool talking to you this way because I think I'm like two rooms over yeah. from you because I'm actually here at the Junket right now, which is pretty cool. I want to talk about world building and specifically the aspects that you start to set up in this film that don't necessarily pay off because there are some elements that you're saving for hopefully a sequel in the coming years. What's the balance of setting up something that does pay off by the end versus setting up something that we're going to have to wait a few years to see where it goes from here? Yeah, you know, Jim's really disciplined as a story creator, and I'm glad he had taken a crack at the script first. I think if he had just given me all the graphic novels, I would have been probably a little bit lost or, you know, I would have done what I did on Sin City, which was, what are my favorite stories and shove them all into the first movie because <laughs> I don't know if there'll be a sequel. You know, this one, I probably would have been tempted to shove more in there, but um, he was like, built a story that really told her story, you know, kind of told her, set her up. 
going from innocence and, and not knowing who she is to knowing who she is, having had a Earth-like experience, so now she, she has gotten more humanity. She's not just a bullet fired from a gun, which is what she was 300 years earlier. She, she's now a warrior that's a complete warrior who has humanity to her. So that was a good arc, a 180-degree arc for a character. And it was only two of the 30 books, you know, mainly two books. So that was really disciplined of him. But even when he puts his stories together for a one-off movie, he'll build the idea of sequels. So in his notes, 600 pages of notes, he had a whole section about a trilogy, where the trilogy would be. The first world, Iron City would be story one. You would never go up to the second level. There's more than one level until a second mm-hmm. film. So he kind of outlined where that would go. Even if we don't make sequels, it would helps you know what to put in the first story, what isn't important, um, so that if you do go do another movie, you're not like, oh, we kind of didn't set it up right. But also, he, he's not really thinking about setting up another story so much as making this first one a complete story. It needs to be a complete story in case you don't make another one. Now, it has a very cool ending that makes you think, oh, that's going to definitely be more. But I like any movies like that, even if you don't do a sequel. It's what I call story value. A mariachi ended very similar. He didn't get the guitar case with weapons until the last scene in the movie. In Spy Kids, they didn't actually become spies until the last scene in the movie. They're actually spies in the very last scene. So even if you didn't do a sequel, you could imagine more in your head because you go, oh, now this character is so set up. I can imagine them now going on all these adventures. So this is very similar. You go, okay, she's definitely going to go up there. She's going to go kick this guy's ass. You almost don't even need to see it. You know, you almost like figure. But you know, if there's another one, it'll have tons of surprise, of course, because now you have to you have to counter what people are probably thinking is the, the, the logical choice and, and really pull the rug out from under him. But uh, him planning it out, I thought was really smart. You know, just like George Lucas wrote episode four for Star Wars because he knows, okay, there's three stories before this and there's stories after. It's kind of a cool way to craft something, even if it's a one-off, just to know where in its history does it lie so that it feels like the movie extends beyond the confines of the picture you're seeing. It feels like there was a history before and that there's stuff that's coming after, even if you don't make another one. Hey, Robert, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in an earlier conversation, you described Alita as sort of that lost James Cameron movie that if you didn't dive in to make it, you might never see it. Right. Um, I wasn't going to see it. He wasn't going to make it. <laughs> so what's the lost Robert Rodriguez movie that you worked on and never got to fruition that a Rodriguez fan, you know, 15 years from now is going to fight to make? Oh, my gosh. Let me see. Um, I don't know. There's probably a few different ones. That have been announced that, you know, people announced before when I said I was working on them. And then people still ask, hey, when are you going to make that? When you One of them was that I went ahead and made was Machete because I made that fake trailer. <laughs> and then for five years, people kept saying, where's the movie coming? I was like, well, there is no movie. It's just a fake trailer. That's the whole joke. <laughs> but we want to see that movie. We never see like a Mexican action hero. So I finally had to go make it. So I made my own lost film because it was supposed to be a lost <laughs> film. What was funny is I, I reverse engineered the trailer. I thought, I'm going to make... I'm going to use every shot from that trailer I did five years ago and try to figure out a way to use it so that it makes sense in the story that I now have to write. So it was a really fun exercise. <laughs> and I think some people, you know, have fun. If I had a lost picture, they'd have fun going, trying and, and, and excavate it and figure out how to make it work. I mean, so like this was that with, for me and Jim. He didn't finish it, so I had to go finish it for him. And he gave me the script and he gave me 600 pages of notes. And like an archaeologist, you got to go... Go find some stuff. And there's still stuff that's not in the notes. 
It was after after the last scene when you'd think everything he ever thought of would be in the notes. And uh, in the last scene, you know, I won't give away the ending, but she's kind of going through this period of mourning. You know, I thought she needs to, we need to see that she's affected by the losses that she's had. And uh, Jim was like, no, 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 she shouldn't be mourning and walking around moping about this person, you know, so that's not her character. So we tried a couple different things. He rejected all of them. Then he finally said, you know what? I had an idea a long time ago that she sheds a tear and she slices it like a samurai in half. And then she goes on with her life. Cool. Where was that? (laughs) So even if you can have 600 pages of notes, there's still ideas in that head. You got to go like squeeze out of there. That's and then awesome. he didn't remember, you know, until like way down the line, near the end. We went and reshot that little piece with Rosa. You know, I'm, I've been watching your films all my life. I've spent hours watching your DVD special features, your cooking schools, your <laughs> everything. And a lot of the films you've done, not every one of them, but a lot of them, you've been the cinematographer, the editor, the composer. Uh, now here you have Bill Pope, Junkie XL, amazing people. Uh, was it strange kind of? Backing off, just taking the director chair, uh, and obviously, uh, what did you learn about yourself as a director not having to do those things? Oh, it's nice. It's 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 best when you don't have to do it. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to <laughs> do it, but a lot of times I just have to do it because we just don't have enough money. I can't really afford, you know, the best cinematographer. So the one I can't afford, it's like, well, shit, I got more experience than him. I shot Sin City and this <laughs> and that. So I was like, well, shit, I might as well do it now. I've shot digital for. 20 years now, and this guy's just barely, like, figuring out how to, this is going to slow us down. <laughs> and even on this, I still did, like, the music in the bar fight. I did, uh, I made the chocolate that she eats. I'm a chocolatier. That's going to be on the cooking nice. school. So, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> I still get my hands awesome. dirty. <laughs> yeah. So, chocolate bar, oh, it's so good. It's got peanut butter in it, honey, and it's just, <laughs> it's the best, and the, and the school is fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when you can afford, uh, like a compose, like I love writing music, but it's not like that. I always want to do my own scores because it's a lot of work, and you want to get it just right. But when you're over budget, you, the first place you take money from is your music budget. So a lot of movies, I'd get there and go, "Oh, we got five dollars left in the music budget. I guess I'm writing the score again." So um, it was more like I had to do it rather than I wanted to do it. Here, I didn't have to do it, and we wanted to have. I wanted to make it more like Jim Cameron film, and Jim has great collaborators, and Jim can do everybody's job. He can do that too. He started that way. But he doesn't do it because he knows he needs to concentrate on the story and the characters and the 3D and all the other. There's a lot of things he still has to do. He's going to be really busy. So I took that approach, and I've always wanted to work with guys much better than me. That That's all they do. Bill Pope, I love to learn from people. And the only way you learn is when you work for them. I'll, I'll, my, I'll, my movies will be better from working with him. Um, for Junkie XL, seeing how he crafts his music. Uh, it's master class, because you're working with him through the whole process. Uh, Steve Rifkin, to see how he... I've always, I've always just edited my own movies. So to work with an Oscar-winning editor, it's kind of... This was like going to school. I knew this would be, like, really fun, but I'm going to Jim Cameron school. I'm going to Bill Pope school. I'm going to... It was the best education, you know, you could possibly get while making a fun movie. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely didn't miss... You know, not doing those jobs. Now, I have another movie coming out, a feature film at South by Southwest this year called Red 11, which is um, the 25th anniversary of El Mariachi. So that's another $7,000 movie that I shot a documentary for it as well to show how to write, shoot, edit, cut, score your own movie. And I made that myself in 14 days. 
And so I'm, I'm back to my old tricks real quick. But <laughs> already within a month, I'm back to my old tricks. But I, I, I do like the, the doing both, you know, when you can afford to, hiring really great, masterful collaborators. Well, we are so thankful that you came on to Real Blend to talk Alita with us and, and obviously your filmmaking process, Mr. Rodriguez. you got a lot of people to talk to today, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate and did, it. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? Has Tarantino showed, showed you anything yet? No. Is he done? I, I thought he was still shooting. Is he done shooting? He might be. He's done shooting. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. He, he usually shows me stuff. I'll have to go bug him now. I'm sure he's deep yeah. in editing. But Bring I can't us with wait. You. We'll, we'll go with you. We'll it's fun. I mean, his cuts, his cuts are so great. They feel like the finished movie. So it's not even off the avid, you know, because it's mostly dialogue heavy. It's not. There's no special effects. So what you yeah. you can just watch the avid cut and go, shit, that's it. It rocks. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, thanks, Robert. I'll see you, see you guys. Goodness, man. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate thanks. it. All right. So that was Rodriguez uh, on our show, which was absolutely incredible. Um, a lot of things that we talked about in that interview. Were, were things that we heard for the first time, specifically some of the things about From Dust Till Dawn, The Bar. Um, there's a lot of cool things that were uh, were said. And the beauty, I think, of what we all did in the interview is we were able to cover essentially his entire filmography Yeah. Uh, in the 15 minutes, uh, talking about Sin City. I mean, that it was surreal. It was, it was already surreal going down to New Zealand to do the performance capture with him. Um, as somebody who was, you know, I watched his DVD features all throughout high school and college. Uh, Sin City, I saw three times opening weekend. I mean, the guy is... A Dude, big... he made the chocolate! Yeah, <laughs> How great yeah that's right. That? Yeah. And you know what's cool? So I was in... Obviously, I was at the junket while we were recording that. I was in a separate yeah. room and then got to interview him for, for my show uh, here in Chicago. And whenever I walked in, I said, hey, man, thanks for uh, doing our podcast earlier. He goes, oh, it was nice to actually have like a conversation. Normally, I don't get to have conversations uh, with you know with you guys. So it was nice to actually... like. Talk. Well, that's what I love too about it was that after it was like the one or two questions uh, came out, he he really just sort of laid back and was like, oh, "Now yeah. I'm just going to start talking," and he started just yeah. sharing stories. And that's it, where, it was like we were talking over beers. Yeah, and that's where the bit about the chocolate came from. That's where the bit about the bar fights came from. I love what he talked about how he googled the top bar fights, and it was like his yeah. and Cameron's basically at the top. So. Yeah, I mean, these are the types of interviews that I think we want to keep bringing to the show because they are loose, casual hangs with filmmakers that we deeply admire. It's crazy. John Favreau, if you're listening, yeah. we'd love to have you. <laughs> I do want Favreau Jake on Jake will show. buy you a cheese pizza if, yes. uh, if you come on the, the show. The biggest one. All right, yeah. got to get to the blend game. <laughs> We're <laughs> running out of time. Um, we did hashtag Robert Rodriguez blend. And Gabe, I am supposed to ask you if any of us picked the same movie. Gabe, probably I guess all. I should probably ask you, did we all pick the same movie? <laughs> yes! Yeah. Then we all picked <laughs> Wait, you guys went with Shark Boy and Lava Boy, uh, Girl 2? <laughs> Robert Rodriguez exactly movie right. from Dust Till Dawn. And, uh, no question. Yeah, Kevin, go first. Tell us why you love it so much. Well, it's, I mean, it has everything I want in a Rodriguez movie. A Quentin Tarantino script. Uh, it is... Uh, it is two movies in one. There's two completely different films happening, which is awesome. I mean, the movie goes from these two guys who are on the run to this vampire horror film. Uh, Tom Savini in the bar is one of my favorite characters ever with uh, with the, the crotch gun. <laughs> His character was what, <laughs> Sex Machine. And one of the things we talked about in the in the in the interview. Which was blew my mind as a, as a as like a high schooler and even now. I remember when I got the From Dust Till Dawn DVD when I was in high school. It came with another movie called Full Tilt Boogie, yeah. which I think was was about the making of From Dust Till Dawn. It was like yeah. a two disc set. Oh, I've never seen that. Um, it's great. And it's awesome, and it's all about the making of the movie because that movie was all 
think about how many practical effects were in that film. I mean, the, the makeup effects. But the guitar player playing a person's body um, <laughs> always blew my mind. Uh, and then, I mean, just everything about that film. Uh, the, just there's lines that Clooney has about the, um, I have six little friends that can run faster than you. And I, there's so many, like, great, the UB Cool moment, his tattoo on his neck. Um, there's just, and even the beginning, uh, was it Michael Parks who plays the, um, yeah, who plays yeah, the, the, sheriff. the sheriff, that yeah. whole sequence is so well done. Um, that whole shootout. And that's, and who's, who's the, um, the actor behind the uh, counter? John, uh, the he's, 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 uh, oh, John, John Hawks. John, John Hawks. Hawks. That's right. Yeah. He's a great actor. That's like a classic Tarantino scene. Yeah. Like just the tension, yeah. uh, pulled from dialogue is but the little, the little Tarantino. details having yeah. the popcorn cool. pop. You. Be cool. I like how the popcorn's popping as the guy's on fire. It's like it's like it's like it's like the little yeah. details of like Rodriguez, but it was the perfect combination of the two of my favorite filmmakers, and then Quentin's acting. I, I thought he was hilarious in the movie. Not not Quentin's not, not great hilarious. Great in the movie, actually. He's a bad person, but he's well, great he's in the disturbing. Movie. Oh the movie. yeah, he's yeah. You know very what? disturbing in the movie. The scene yeah. that bugs me about that the scene that bothers me about that movie the most is when 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 I think Clooney goes somewhere to get burgers and then uh oh. they're with that hostage oh, in the yeah, room yeah, and like yeah. he does and they, and they and flash so back yeah, they, like, yeah, they, yeah. he does something horrible to her yeah uh, that, that, that's a pretty nasty scene movie i fell head over heels in love with george clooney like yeah. he is the i thought you were gonna say selma hayek well yes the dance the dance is something very very special um but clooney was he's the personification of just the coolest film character I can I can recall ever seeing. Um, and so what I loved the most about that movie, and I, I think I knew, they didn't, it wasn't like a surprise, the vampire twist, right? Like that was still part of the marketing, wasn't it? But it's fun to, have you ever watched that movie? I like, I went into it knowing what it was. Have you ever watched that movie with someone that don't, that didn't know what it was? I oh yeah, I think so. I have. It's so great. It's so, yeah. I've had, um, I've had like friends that I've watched the movie with, yeah. um, who I always say, have you heard of From Dusk Till Dawn? It's like a, it always sort of pitches, like it's sort of a bank robbery movie with George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh no, that sounds interesting. I've never heard of it. Like, okay, cool, let's watch it. Yeah. And I always love the face <laughs> of the first time that that the first girl turns into the vampire. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard these days to find someone that doesn't know. That's awesome. But if you can experience that you know, because it's a treasure. You know where it starts to transition in for me uh, where it becomes where, it's, where you're kind of starting to get an idea of this is not going to be the same movie you just watched for the first half is Cheech Marin's speech outside of the um, yeah. bar about all the things he's saying about that word. What does he say exactly? Oh yeah, right. yeah. Jake, I'll let you go ahead and take that quote if you don't mind. I mean, there's so oh, many Oh, and I, we need to point out, oh so, oh, so Rodriguez says this in the interview, doesn't he, that the bar from Dustal Dawn is the bar, is the Kansas bar that they used in Alita. Um, so right. you go watch and you were there fire. yeah and I was lucky enough to be there at Troublemaker and and they had a party oh, at, at the at the bar which again I don't want to say it um, but it was God, how great is Danny set. Trejo in that movie and then there's like there's and Kytel so Kytel is oh. great yeah everything like, about it's great I'm gonna count to three no I'm gonna count to three <laughs> like just like just start ripping oh, it's Clooney is 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 perfect for and I forget because it's not a Tarantino movie but we forget we live in a world where Clooney has 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 read 
Tarantino's dialogue. Yes. And he's great. And great. That character is fantastic. I wanted to ask. I used to, I used to want, I'm not nearly cool enough, but that tattoo that he had that went up his arm and they kind of like snuck up his neck yeah. a little bit. I used to want one of those and then I realized I'm not cool. I, so that, I wanted yeah, to ask Rodriguez. There was, always, there was a shot in that movie that I've always wondered why he did it. I, 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 don't, I know we had him, but I didn't we think We had a chance. Pro- well, I don't think it was appropriate to like waste a question on this. But there's a shot in the movie when Quentin turns into the vampire and then they cut back to a shot of Quentin not in the vampire uh, costume. Oh, I love that. But he has the teeth still in the blood. And then you cut back to the next shot and he's back in the vampire form. I was wondering if that was like, if that was an intentional edit or a, a continuity issue because it's a cool shot. I mean, I agree with Jake. It's cool to see Quentin with just the teeth and not the full makeup. Yeah. But I wondered why, what, what, why did he transition back? Because, I mean, I, I feel like when you, if you're, if you're in that situation and you're Clooney and you're having a hard time with this moment because it's your brother, I picture that, that you're, you're battling between two yeah. things. You're battling between, yeah. oh my God, this is my brother. I can't kill this guy. But also, like, it's not my brother. It, it's, it's, he's a vampire. He's a, he's a monster now. It's not my brother yeah. anymore. And I felt like that image perfectly represented him not being able to, to decide what to do. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know what's cool about From Dusk Till Dawn, though, is it kind of brings back that old school uh, horror violence. Like, like Peter Jackson would do in like Dead Alive or Brain Dead. Like, there's like sh- scenes where like they'll throw a, shotgun into someone's chest and then use their body to reload it yeah. <laughs> and then like i mean like the way that movie was done oh that's a great that's so a great creative it was what? so well done and then and then the okay, super I'm soakers gonna, with the water the holy water i'm gonna say yeah, something yeah. i'm gonna say something uh that might be controversial and i don't mean it as a slight because i love this movie and it was clearly i picked it as my favorite Rod rodriguez film and i love several rodriguez films i like i do like the first half better than the second half oh i uh, agree i, like I would agree with that I would agree. I like that story and the dynamic of the brothers. Yeah. And Clooney's really cool. But what I was trying to say earlier was that I like that it takes that really cool character and plunges him into a horror movie. But I do like... But again, I don't know where the first half of the movie was going to go. Like, how would it play out, right? Like, I'm not quite sure what else they could have done with those two brothers and the abducted family. Uh, they needed to to turn the level up another notch. So it's almost like they, the two halves can't exist without each other, right? Oh, no, I, I agree. And you can't watch one without the other. And it was interesting, him telling, uh, and I think he told Cinema Blend, and then he told me as well, that uh, that he filmed it to be 3D. Yeah, everything in the it, bar. It, 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 it makes me wonder how different it would have been, how he would have filmed it differently, if he had known going in, I'm not going to be able to get this oh, to be maybe. 3D. Yeah, true. Well, I, I mean, know. what? What a what a crazy! I, I I would love to have asked him about the shot when Quentin and George Clooney walk out of that uh, out of the um the beginning um, mart yeah. that they go to, and then yeah. that explosion that happens right bef- behind them as they're walking to the car. Oh yeah, like masterfully done. Where like they don't even like nod that it's happening behind them. Like well, that must have been a real shot. I mean, okay. I, I doubt they green screened it. No, not Cliff yeah. Clavin. Uh, picked Desperado, which has yet another amazing walk away from an explosion <laughs> shot. That was my gift. That was my gift in my tweet. Yeah, today. which is Salma and Antonio Banderas walking away from a massive explosion. So you know, it's a Rodri- best, I think the Spy Kids have done it too. Probably. I think it's best a scene in Desperado is is Quentin's story when he goes up there and tells a story about the guy making the yeah. bet. About he goes, I'm gonna, I, I, I'll bet you that this guy can come over to your bar. And I can't remember what he says. He goes, oh, he's going to urinate, I guess, if yeah. we can use that term, into a cup. And he's not going to spill a drop, right? That, yeah. that, that was like the whole thing. Yeah. And then and then he makes the <laughs> bet with the bartender. And the bartender's like, there's no way he can do that. He goes, I'll bet you $500 he can do it. 
And then I guess the, the joke was right. The, the behind him, he made another bet with a guy that goes, I'll bet you $10,000, whatever it was, that I can go up there, do that, and yeah. all over the bar... And not only will the bartender be angry, or, uh, uh, he'll be happy. He'll be laughing about it. Yeah, Because yeah. he just made 500 bucks. It it's a brilliant joke. Yeah. I love that. But. I, you know, uh, th- this is like more so the character than the movie itself. I love Johnny Depp's character in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Oh, really? The, the, the blind gunfighter. When he gets, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got the he's got the sunglasses and the blood streak. Yeah. He's walking around with the two guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's such a cool image. And he plays that part so well. Wait, well. now I have and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. No, and it, it was really like that, that was Once Upon a Time in Mexico came out right after, right after uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. So it was right in this moment where Depp was just exploding, and that was such a cool character for him because that still felt like one of those I don't, I don't give a crap. Like I'm gonna do this character just because it's weird and cool that he was doing in the '90s, which I think that's one of his. Like I'd argue that's probably one of Depp's last great characters. Probably, yeah. I would say um, I was going down a wormhole of YouTube videos and I, I'm only going to tie this together because of the people that you all just mentioned. Kevin Smith was telling a story about how he got Johnny Depp to play the French detective in Tusk. And uh, what I didn't realize is that he had written that part for Quentin Tarantino. He wanted Tarantino to play Guy Lapointe, Le- I think is the name of the character. And he sent the script to Tarantino and Tarantino passed on it. Because Tarantino read it and he thought that he wanted him to play uh, the Justin Long character, the guy who gets abducted and turned into a walrus. Uh, Quentin didn't know he wanted him to play the detective. And Kevin Smith said, I kind of panicked when he passed because Quentin acts in everything. Like if you ask him to show up in any role, he does it. And so when you guys are mentioning all these other great Quentin cameos, I was like, oh, that's right. He really does sort of show up in almost everything and steals whatever scene that he does. But it's always – pretty entertaining to watch him do does, it. Do, does Tarantino know how bad his Australian accent was in Django? Do you think he I understands that? I don't think he does. Okay. <laughs> I, I just always found that to be very yeah. oddly very bad. Like that yeah. that was I mean it's a pretty bad accent that he does there. <laughs> it's pretty I don't, odd. Yeah, I don't understand what, if he meant to be bad on purpose or is he, like, you know, right. I don't know. Um, Matt Passan, Passantino says uh, Sin City. Uh, out. That was another one of considering so Yeah. Uh, at our B Alex said the faculty, which I thought was an offbeat choice. I like the um, faculty. I actually like yeah. that movie. Faculties are really good. I, 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 I forget that that's Rodriguez though. It yeah. is early Rodriguez. And at Kenner's ninety one says Spy Kids, which I think is um, I'm glad that someone picked Spy Kids. That's a fun franchise. It goes a little bit off the rails in the third one um, when Stallone gets involved, but still for what it was at the time, uh, it was a lot of fun. For next week, Gabe is surprising us with his pick. At, uh, we're doing, okay, so obviously you can go over to Twitter. You can weigh in with your choices. We are going to play hashtag Emily Blunt blend. So get your favorite Emily Blunt movies together. Uh, Jake can pick Mary Poppins Returns. Kevin no, will probably be pick movies, uh, Quiet Sean. Place, good movies. just I'm for the male scene. I, I, I'm, I'm doing salmon fishing in the Yemen. <laughs> Is she in that? Actually, uh, yeah. You call yourself <laughs> a film critic? I'm saving that one for you and McGregor blend. Uh, so you can follow us at Real Blend, R E E L B L E N D. Jake is at, at Jake's Takes. Kevin's at, at Kevin McCarthy TV. I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Do me a favor. Also, go Gabe. Over also, to Gabe. also, Gabe. And Gabe Kovac. Co- How do I pronounce that, Gabe? <laughs> Chavich? Gabe Chavich? <laughs> <laughs> you have a mic. Turn it on. I think Gabe's last name is Kaiser Speak, Sose. Gabe, for God's sakes, man. No, he don't type it. Say it. He's not going to say it. 
We gave him a mic. Hold on. He doesn't want to waste his first uh, arable quote on on this. I think. At, it's at Gabe Kovacs. It's K-O-V-A-C-S. Just go to the Real Blend account. You can follow. We don't follow a lot of people. We only follow you if you've been on the show. Uh, go to the iTunes page. Leave us a review. We'll be back next week. We will do a pre-Academy Awards um, pre- preview. I guess a pre-preview uh, where we will give our picks and we'll probably follow up on whether uh, categories are going to be televised. Jake is going to uh, London. I'll be back from Orlando. Kevin, I'm sure, is going someplace. Um, but we'll be back next week to do a Real Blind episode for you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 56. And done. Kirk? Plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.